You're listening to Talks from the Apostolic Joanite Church. This presentation, The Church and Medieval Magic, Liturgy and the Classic Grimoires, with the Reverend Deacon Brian Garner. Brian Garner has been an active member of the AJC for many years and a practicing occultist and grimoire traditionalist who's been involved with Western ceremonial magic since 1999. He's the author of Gateways Through Stone and Circle, a manual of evocation for the planetary intelligences. He currently lives in Colorado with his wife and son and daughter. You have a daughter, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yep. We need to update. I, I keep shuffling the bios from, from year to year, but it makes for easy work. Besides his occult pursuits, he enjoys the outdoor activities of Colorado, Colorado, studying Celtic myths and legend, and teaching at Kashua Bujinkan Ninjutsu Dojo, his Japanese martial arts center. As I did a little bit of Bujinkan when I was much younger, I almost know how to pronounce that. So uh, with that, please welcome uh, Deacon Brian Garner, a fan favorite across the, the church and the occult scene. And uh, Brian, I will turn it over to you. All right, thank you. It's definitely my uh, pleasure to share um, this topic uh, with you. It's, it's something that's very near and dear to me, and it's uh, the kind of magical arts as such is uh, something that got me interested and involved with more uh, Catholic ritual and uh, in the church that way instead of the, the other way around. So this is... Um, kind of a, a session of uh, reverse engineering uh, for me, but uh, yeah, just finding a lot of people that are interested in magic, um, especially classical uh, Western magic, um, don't seem to realize a lot of times just how involved uh, the church was, the rituals, the, the customs, and how all of this became more popularized and uh, magic as we know it today, as far as uh, the Western system is uh, concerned. So. What I have today is just a, um, a lot of slideshows. It was kind of a, it's, it's a, a time of show and tell. It, it actually I had to pare it down quite a bit. There's still many, many slides and, and hopefully I can get through everything. Uh, but uh, we'll move along from this, um, this intro here. And uh, basically some of the, the things I wanna to cover first and foremost is um, looking at magic is defined this way, and, and I'm going to narrow it down to what uh, has been recently termed Solomonic magic, uh, just to make things more specific. Uh, that's the area I, I work in primarily, and uh, the things that I've published and I speak about most often is, is in the term of Solomonic magic, and we'll get into what that means in uh, just a little bit. But um, first and foremost, um, when we're looking at uh, the ancient world and moving up through the medieval period and, and even through the, the Renaissance and even further, uh, magic is, is definitely something that uh, was most notably defined and, and achieved through the intercession of, of spirits, of spiritual beings, whether they be angels uh, or ancestors or demons or, or something like this. Um, most of the magic uh, workings and, and uh, articles manuscripts and such that you find uh, is about how to achieve audience and speak with uh, spirits of, of various sorts and also um, how to get them to do things for you, how to either learn knowledge or 
or achieve something practical that you want or that uh, a client, somebody that you're you're working for or has asked you for something, how to how to get something done for them, and this is all done through through spirits. So that's um, that's something that to take an account. Um, there wasn't too many concepts of of things being achieved just through the will and in the being of, of the person themselves, there's always something higher. And uh, we'll be looking into that and how it um, relates to um, not just Catholicism, but specifically the, the priesthood and uh, clergy and uh, the definition of magicians through that sort, which um, mostly they, they definitely were, the majority of uh, the magicians being learned people, um, and if not clergy, then the aristocratic or ruling classes as well. So we'll kind of move on from this, and uh, you guys appreciate the pictures and everything I put together. Um, before I go further, I do want to get some acknowledgments, and even be, before going into the person, uh, I did have some help um, putting the uh, the PowerPoint together uh, from a great friend that helped organize and hopefully made, made it look um, uh, a little bit more aesthetically pleasing. So the thanks go to them, even though they wish to remain anonymous. <laughs> but um, as far as learning, uh, developing my own knowledge base for the magical arts, uh, Stephen Skinner and David Rankin is, is definitely first and foremost. Um, Dr. Stephen Skinner wrote the, the forward to my, my second book, uh, Gateways Through Light and Shadow, and has been a huge uh, support. He is, um, incredible authors for especially of, of academic resources of classical uh, magical knowledge and, and manuscripts, uh, definitely specifically in Solomonic magic as well. Uh, right alongside that, Joseph Peterson, uh, who if people are not familiar but interested in magical arts, should definitely check out the uh, Esoteric Archives online section where you can basically look at manuscripts, classical manuscripts that magic at uh, click of a mouse and it's all available and he's had that available to uh, people interested in this, this these sorts, uh, sorts of topics for uh, for many years. Uh, Aaron Leach who earlier wrote the uh, the secret of the magical grimoires and and basically uh, making a good primer for people including myself several years ago of, of how to get into these classical arts and the the meanings and such behind them. Uh, John King a good friend and I would a mentor of mine and how uh, working classical magic in, in a sense of integrity and uh, appreciating the, the process and the actual um, learning and experience of, of these arts um, through replications and, and understandings of the actual material. And then um, Joseph Lasuski, um, who wrote uh, Ceremonial Magic or the Power of Ceremonial Magic and, and um, kind of really changed a lot of the viewpoints of, of how people appreciated this, uh, how we appreciate these type of magical arts now, instead of it just being kind of a psychological or an intellectual endeavor only. So moving through that, uh, basically the, the way I'm gonna hit um, this lecture today is, um, I'm, going to try to move steadily along. There's a lot of material. There's a lot of things uh, to study, but uh, basically I'm going to point uh, to sources and, um, and parts, mainly in, in Grimoire's books of magic. 
uh, pointing to how they um, strongly relate to uh, points in liturgy, whether it be the, the vestments, the process, or, or the ritual, or, or the, how things are used, and just how closely those are linked, um, and how surprised I was when I, I started studying this, just how connected to uh, Catholic liturgy, specifically uh, within the, uh, the Western world, and, and how these were used as, and still are used as the main processes and um, ritual, um, ritual guidelines for how magic is practiced. And might even be shocking to a lot of other practitioners like uh, people in Wicca and, and possibly other lodge style uh, magical orders that uh, so much is founded on this kind of liturgical um, you know, process and understanding that, um, we, we do have to give a lot of credit because that's where the stuff comes from. But um, essentially, uh, we were talking about the person of the magician uh, before, at least one of the previous slides. And uh, for more understanding in the records that we have, um, the priestly caste was the, the magical class, especially in, in Egypt, where um, a lot of the source material does, we have, um, um, you know, brief records from and such where they were performing um, the spiritual and religious duties uh, different than, than the priests and the ministers and um, Catholicism and other Christian denominations today. Uh, their interests were more in attending to the, the statues and, and the idols and performing the rituals uh, for the gods themselves and uh, the other people, how they worshiped and, and when they worshiped and what they did was, was more of a private affair. They didn't um, uh, necessarily dictate or you know tend to the populace that way, but they did as assist the pop, uh, population with practical concerns, whether they were health or, or finding a mate or um, needing financial assistance, uh, this type of thing. And uh, these priests would um, perform magical acts on behalf of, of these people, usually for payment. And uh, they were a, a professional uh, class system not just uh, not just uh, providing religious uh, services, uh, but these are the origins of uh, the magicians and uh, the standards and some of the technology, the process um, simply evolved uh, regardless of the culture, religion that came into power. And uh, you see this through Europe, um, into Greece, uh, and then uh, you know through the greater um, uh, part of parts of Europe. Uh, through the years as, as Christianity much later began to began to take hold and, and um, be the standard throughout the Western world. So um, this is what we're going to be talking about, um, mainly the evocation of spirits, talking to spirits uh, in order to achieve something practical, again, whether it be knowledge or wealth or love or this kind of thing. Uh, the source that we have primarily for uh, Solomonic magic, and a lot of people, why you know, why King Solomon for you know the image and, and um, the person that a lot of these magical texts are attributed to, and uh, it is the Testament of Solomon. Um, it is basically a uh, narrative, not necessarily a magical text as of yet, but it it sets the stage of the lore of um, how this type of magic um, really became uh, concrete in, in the rest Western world 
of uh, basically summoning demons, summoning spirits uh, that have some sort of office. They're able to achieve something, whether it's negative or positive. Um, if you know the, the name of the demon and uh, if you know which angel rules over them uh, and how they're controlled, then you're able to summon them if you have spiritual authority. And uh, that's something that we'll get into in, in a bit as well. But uh, through the Testament of Solomon, he, uh, he makes contact with one demon through um, receiving a seal. And in some versions, it's a, it's a ring that one of the archangels presents to them or presents to him. And it gives him the authority to call and also bind this demon to speak truthfully, uh, to bring other demons before him and have them reveal their name, their office, uh, or what their basically what their job is in creation, what they can do, what kind of things they can affect, and also the angel ruling over them so that um, they can basically um, have their their office or their being set to a more positive task that's controlled by Solomon. So um, this is basically the, the groundwork. And uh, if anybody has not read this that is interested in this type of magic, it's, it is foundational and it gives a lot of um, background to how these things developed. Um, but what you do see in, in Egypt is, um, is this technology even beforehand um, calling up a more powerful God over another God and basically sometimes threatening or binding that lesser God or that lesser spirit um, to perform a task through the authority of this, of this higher being. And this is part of the, the technology and, and the process of, of how this particular type of magic works. Uh, the treatise of Solomon, or the Hygromantia, um, as we get into grimoires, um, I'm going, I'm not going to spend too much time, but I did want uh, people to have um, kind of an idea of, of uh, some of the grimoires I will be mentioning through this lecture, and also uh, sources to go to so that, um, you know, if you're interested to read and, and study more of, of how this stuff came about, um, uh, this is going to be, you know, pretty good uh, primer for you and also the kind of sources that I'll be drawing from and just how much um, liturgical influence and, and um, uh, Christian and Jewish Christian and uh, very much uh, Muslim uh, influence came through a lot of these practices of, of magic as we have them in various manuscripts. So the Treatise of Solomon is um, a source work. I'll be talking uh, a lot about the Key of Solomon. A lot of my quotes are from the Key of Solomon. And uh, this is definitely the primary draws from older sources, um, Coptic and, and others, and, and some from the, the Greek magical papyrus. Um, but uh, it does talk about binding demons, calling demons through higher authority, and a lot of times viewing them in, in various ways, either through a crystal, there's even one through oil on a thumbnail, uh, in a water pot, this uh, type of thing. But uh, you see a lot of the examples of a magician or a conjurer using a scryer, um, somebody that's sitting down and, and um, passively gazing into the water, the, the scrying um, medium as the magician calls a spirit forth to view and basically to relay the, the messages of um, the spirit as it's coming through the scryer. So there's a lot of... Um, just fascinating uh, source works and you already start to see um, introductions of 
vestments of very, very much um, kind of a combination sometimes of uh, almost Jewish and uh, very early um, Catholic uh, vestments and vesture, the purification, the cleansing, again, all of this having earlier sources in, in Egypt, um, religious structure, but uh, uh, definitely later on in, in uh, Catholic litur uh, liturgical practice as well. So the key of Solomon, um, I would say most of the quotes, if not from the Lamegaton, or we're gonna be drawing from the, uh, um, uh, another grimoire that we'll be talking about here too, the Heptameron, which uh, has very strong um, influences of, of very religious practices um, of the day. Um, the prayers, there's confessions, um, just so many different points of where you can see just how much uh, religious practice and magical practice um, really came together, at least for this type of magic. And uh, it's found in most, you know, versions of the Key of Solomon. And when we're talking about the Keys of Solomon, there's several different versions. Most people are familiar with the Mathers uh, versions, but um, there, uh, I don't know what the count is um, at this point, but there's so many different manuscripts that have, that um, the author penned uh, a Key of Solomon and uh, each of them containing variations, but usually having the same uh, basic standards for how this is practiced as far as the purifications, um, the cleansing, the, usually the confessions and the creation of, of these tools in order to summon these beings properly. So for those of you who have, um, you know, have this, you'll be able to go back and hopefully view these, these slides. It's at your pleasure. I didn't want to read all of these out because <laughs> there's a lot of, of information, but some of these I will be reading word for word because um, they really are important for the whole point of the, the discussion. Um, but yes, mentioning the magical treatise and um, the structural use implements garments for the process of evocation. All right. Uh, just a few more mo mentions of different grimoires I will be drawing from. Uh, the Sworn Book of um, Pope uh, Honorius. Uh, this is probably the most, arguably the most Christianized uh, grimoire. Uh, most of it really is focusing on just being extremely pious and, and dedicated and the magic you know, extending through that, that piety and that spiritual authority as um, um, a sense of really working magic um, just as a, a very devout religious person. And in this context, um, you know, supposedly attributed to one of the popes, it goes right uh, hand in hand with the, you know, basically the, the Catholic authority of uh, the clergy and uh, the ability to summon and talk to angels and, and demons and spirits um, in order to to gain what you need, but uh, this one more than than others um, is is pretty much a, a book of piety, a magical book of piety, and um, we'll be sharing some of the quotes and such from here. Uh, the book of Abramel and the Mage, um, using a lot of the quotes from here as well. Um, this is the process of. Uh, gaining knowledge and, and conversation with your holy guardian angel 
And um, it basically is a book of intensive uh, religious retreat and piety. Um, very few people um, conducting this ritual, to even you know whether it is the French or the uh, the German versions. Um, to to the letter, it's extremely um, taxing. But again, the whole um, process of religious piety and, and, and breaking things down until you can move and have a reception of, of being that is your direct link uh, to divinity. And basically that direct link being the one um, process and spirit of being that has you work magic uh, within the world. It, it uh, instructs you and moves you on from there after the binding of these great demonic princes or kings and uh, allows you to hopefully live you know, with uh, comfort and in within proper union and I guess harmony with um, divinity and totality and uh, all of your, the way that you live and work magic in the world is all through um, this uh, way. But the, the, the practice itself um, from, again, the, the ritual tools, the setting up of the altar, um, a lot of the things, the, the oil of abermelon, a lot of these things coming directly from biblical sources, um, Old uh, Testament uh, a lot uh, primarily, and um, basing the structure of magic and meeting your holy guardian angel through various um, points that are drawn specifically from, from the Bible. So uh, we'll be looking at, at that. And I apologize to anyone. I know there's like a chat thing here. I'll keep going. I haven't looked at the the chat, but um, I'll try to I'll try to get some some questions too. If anybody has them, we I don't want to miss anyone. But um, through this uh, grimoire section, uh, the Heptameron, um, with its basically source work of the Luchadarium, there's a lot of um, work that's been done in this, and very recent, I would say, year to two years, maybe a few. There's some excellent magicians and scholars that um, are, are looking into the the earlier source works of the Heptameron, but um, this is the one that Dr. Joseph Lasuski became um, uh, famous for of, of basically trying to recreate in, in his version anyways, the, um, the Heptameron process of calling spirits, which is uh, very, very much a, a Catholic grimoire. Um, the, and we'll go over the, uh, the various parts that I've shared in here, but the, the process specifically is, is very Catholic, even uh, beyond sources like the Key of Solomon or something, which can be arguably almost a Jewish, you know, Christian and otherwise. It, it shares references to both Old and New Testament. It can be a little bit um, more uh, involving of, of both, but the Heptameron is very much a Catholic uh, grimoire. So after we get to the, or after we get through the, uh, the grimoires, uh, we'll be really going into the ritual implements. It's a, a personal favorite of mine since I make them quite often and um, the uh, working with them, but there's, there's just obvious reference from uh, instances to holy water to the vestments and, and so on. Um, there's pretty much things familiar that anyone um, 
who was either a Catholic, but especially with who's in uh, the clergy would have been very familiar and uh, uses the same uh, terminology. And we'll be getting into that in a bit. Uh, I mentioned the three books of uh, occult philosophy uh, just because uh, it is really the foundational um, part of Western uh, mysticism and uh, occult knowledge. And uh, he basically drew um, from sources that he could uh, from what was available as well and, and what he learned. Um, Kabbalistic um, lore that uh, was known and uh, Western Hermeticism and, and basically everything um, coming into uh, a conglomerate of, of learning that really did set the basis of Western occult mystery and, and knowledge. So uh, most persons that uh, become interested in, or involved in uh, Western Hermeticism, magic, that type of thing are going to be familiar with the three books of occult philosophy. And I do mention the um, the fourth as well, which I draw heavily from, uh, which the Magus is actually directly um, taken from um, as well. Uh, the Magus, um, I do mention it has the art of drawing spirits and the crystals, which um, I directly uh, published on in, in my, especially with my two books of recreating the system and, and its functions and so on. So uh, the Magus is definitely one that I'll draw from as well. Uh, the Lamegaton is um, probably the, it might even be more popular than the Key of Solomon, especially the Goetia. Uh, most people that have any inkling of Western magic, they're going to be familiar with uh, the Goetia, if not the Lamegaton. So the 72 spirits uh, with their sigils and, uh, you know, the magical circle, uh, so on and so forth, made more popular through Aleister Crowley. Um, I'll be quoting from this um, book uh, quite a bit. This is um, second to Drawing Spirits and the Crystals. This is one grimoire that I worked extensively, uh, extensively through um, several times and, and continue to do so as a means of, of conjuring these spirits that are listed and, and discovering their offices and um, basically their, oh, there it is right there, uh, their um their aptitudes and what they can achieve for you so so i'm still new to this let's see chat here we go all right so yes yeah, sorry i'm just taking taking a moment to see uh, people's chats one of these days i'll get the hang of zoom <laughs> Uh, okay, so moving on to the use of Catholic and, and Christian, let's um, say, ritual formula and, and implements of magic, and this, this is um, a favorite area of mine uh, and something that uh, I enjoy doing in uh, the readyment and, and the process leading up to, to evocation, the actual working of magic to contact various spirits um, for practical, uh, practical ends. Um, there is a lot of lore of uh, the spirits and these demons and, and uh, how they relate to us, what they are in the world. Of course, um, if we're coming at this in a very Gnostic sense and, you know, things like the Archons and, and such, it's going to have a little bit different shadings, but uh, I'm going to be approaching this or at least sharing this in um, ways as it was kind of understood throughout medieval Europe for the most part. Um, leading up into the Renaissance and, and how these magicians um, 
dealt and worked with these various spirits to, uh, to get them to do various things. And um, there's a lot within the book of uh, Enoch and other sources. Um, and again, going back to the, uh, the Testament of Solomon um, of, of who these spirits are and kind of how they work within the world. But um, yeah, we're gonna go through the process of, um, you know, we, uh, people who actually studied and did this type of magic, not just uh, wrote about it and uh, how they understood uh, to achieve um, audience with these spirits. There we go. So a lot of this information, um, I kind of stepped over myself, but um, just reiterating, um, basically the, the persona of the magician uh, back in the day would have been somebody that had quote unquote spiritual authority to, to be able to do this in the first place. So we talk about ordination um, later within magical lodges and, and magical orders, initiation, a lot of these um, you know, senses or these callings and these processes granting a sort of uh, spiritual license to be able to, to do various things. Um, and there's several references to um, the person of the magician being somebody of uh, spiritual authority anyways. Uh, most notable in uh, grimoires like the Lamegaton in the Goetia, it refers to the magician as the exorcist um, as well. So uh, before it became uh, more of a, a professional standard that was uh, allotted to a priest uh, to be able to perform this, um, the exorcist being of one of the minor holy orders, just as we have it in the, in the AJC. It's, it's one of those as well as like the, you know, the doorkeeper and the acolyte and, and uh, the reader. Um, but this first step is, is, a, is a huge one because it's giving spiritual authority to command to speak to something that um, it might be in an unclean spirit or it might be a spirit causing trouble to be able to bind it, to, to make it to do something, do something than, other than causing havoc. And uh, this authority reading, uh, starting from here, is what gives uh, the magician his, his power, his authority to be able to, to call these beings in the first place and, and have them do uh, what he would like them to do. Um, within all of these grimoires, I think many people that come into that, they are surprised just how much uh, religious and disciplined fervor there is in order to prepare. And in uh, modern days, you see most people skipping over this as something that is uh, arcane, it's, it's superstitious, it's out of date, and um, it states time and time again the, the type of person that is required to do these, type of, uh, these types of magical acts. And it does require an intense amount of personal discipline, uh, being able to control those demons and impulses within the mind and the body before you can control anything outside. So, you know, times of, of cleanliness, of abstinence, of removing oneself from uh, social and uh, habitual engagements that we usually do is, is always the start of this. And um, this is something that you see in all the major grimoires that we have. It's, it's something that's shared uh, between and, and also for anyone that has practiced uh, these kind of arts um, seriously without you know, simply circumventing 
things will understand the reasons behind this and, and that uh, something that endures um, regardless of, of time. So yeah, the immersion of religious discipline, um, the invocations, the conjurations, you're gonna see a lot of references uh, specifically directly to Old and New Testaments, uh, books like the Revelation and stuff later on, um, uh, being able to bind uh, these spirits or uh, call them specifically through uh, litanies from, from religious uh, texts. And this is something, again, that is shared between most, uh, most grimoires. So getting into favorite part, there's a big section that I hope you guys uh, enjoy, but uh, really looking at the, um, the implements and uh, the things used in, in actual evocation, Solomonic evocation, classical Western spirits, um, conjuration or evocation. Uh, in most um, grimoires that you see in the Solomonic chain, it, there's reference to a white linen robe, definitely being referred to as, as an alb. And I'm going to be showing uh, quotes from various um, grimoires that, that shows or um, sometimes specifically says or relates to um, a Catholic clergy vestment in that way. Um, but there's there's so many things here and, and I go through them all, but there's there's altars, there's candles, there's incense burners, the use of incense, holy metals, uh, anointing oils, uh, so on and so forth. Um, all of these things um, being used directly in, in magical processes. And there's a really neat history um, to hear some things that uh, I've only recently found out um, as well. And, uh, and we'll get into it. So um, first and foremost, and I should put this slide ahead, I think, um, this is the need for, for purification. Um, again, for that, that ability to um, cleanse uh, oneself, there's a lot of discussion too among uh, not only scholars, uh, but more so of actual practitioners of uh, spirits, whether they be angels or demons, um, having a, a strong sense or a strong um, aversion to this certain kind of odors or smells. So uh, purification fasting is, is a big thing found in most of these texts. Uh, as well as washing and bathing. Um, hygiene, as um, can be uh, researched, is, was something that uh, was on short supply in many, many areas throughout Europe and, and, uh, and the West through that we know it. And um, you know, being able to purify yourself and, and be clean seems to be a, a huge point of, of having the spirits actually be there and, and appear. And, uh, be able to tolerate um, being in the midst or the proximity of, of people and smell is, is definitely a big one and this goes in hand in hand with the um, um, the incenses as well but beyond that uh, the pre preparation the discipline needed uh, to kind of remove yourself um, your mind and, and, and uh, your will uh, to be geared towards the operation and uh, remove from your day-to-day Thing. Pretty much every one of these grimoires is um, an act of initiation, if not self-initiation or initiation with other people that will be working with you. Um, it is a time to enter in that's something different and set apart 
and um, requires a lot of discipline. So it was, and none of these were these in undertakings that can you know simply just be performed in the midst of everyday life. This was something that took um, quite a bit of preparation in order to achieve success. And uh, pretty much all of these grimoires uh, state that in some fashion to another. <laughs> Copious. <then. laughs> um, yeah, so the foundation when when uh, I began sharing this and, and doing lectures as well as uh, workshops, um, I was really breaking you know the act of of magical uh, process down, and uh, without a doubt, the biggest foundation of shared um, you know religious and, and magical process is without a doubt consecration. And I share just a, a simple um, uh, quote, you know, thing that I looked up and it says, by consecration to make sacred, sacred or set apart objects or specific areas are marked as sacred and therefore different from the rest of the world, bearing a special relationship with the divine. Central to the reality of consecration or, or of, uh, of the, yeah, consecration and inexorably linked with it is the priesthood. So this act and within each of the grimoires, you know, everything that is made, it's made at a specific time and has even a more specific formula for making it the correct way, but each of these are, are consecrated um, in very thorough uh, ways and definitely in a very religious fashion. But the ability to make a person or place or object sacred and set aside for magical use is the foundation for all magical practice. Within the world's total framework of space and time, accessible to man, there do exist specific exceptional and separate spaces and times distinct from the ordinary and therefore possessing a special and unique dignity. Search of the sacred, so I really like that. Uh, what I will be sharing now is um, from the fourth book of occult philosophy, um, it's a little bit lengthy, but bear with me. Uh, I just cannot impress the, the impact of the import of, of how this fits into this particular kind of magic. And I think it's just stated um, um, very well within the, the fourth book of occult philosophy. So here we go. These therefore are the consecrations which first of all are necessary to be used in every kind of devotion and ought to be and ought to precede it and without which nothing in holy rites can be duly performed. And now we come to the to treat of the consecrations which men ought to make upon all instruments and things necessary to be used in this art. And the virtue of this consecration must chiefly consist of in two things, to wit and the power of the person consecrating and by the virtue of the prayer by which the consecration is made. For in the person consecrating, there is required a holiness of life and power of sanctifying, both which are acquired by dignification and initiation ordination. And that the person himself or herself should be a firm and undoubted faith, believe in the virtue, power, and efficacy hereof. Then the prayers itself by which this consecration is made is required uh, the like of holiness, which is either solely consists in the prayer itself, as if it be by divine inspiration ordained to this purpose, just as we have in many places of the Holy Bible, 
or that it's here unto be instituted through the power of Holy Spirit in the ordination of the church. Otherwise, there is in the prayer of sanctimony, which is not only by itself, but by the commemoration of holy things as a commemoration of holy scriptures, histories, works, miracles, effects, graces, promises, sacraments, and sacramental things, and the like, which things by a certain similitude do seem properly or improperly uh, to appertain to the thing consecrated. And it does go on. <laughs> There is used also in the invocation of some divine names with the consignation of holy seals and things of the like sort which do conduce to sanctification and expiation, such as are the sprinkling with holy water, unctions with holy oil, and odorous suffumigations appertaining to the holy worship. And therefore, in every consecration, there is chiefly used the benediction and consecration of water, oil, fire, and fumigations. So for my magicians and, and clergy out there, um, we should be seeing various things in here through, through the elements, um, through especially all of us and that have uh, gone through um, seminary talking about what, what makes a, a sacrament um, is, is very much referenced in here as well. Um, and used everywhere within holy wax lights or lamps burning, for without lights, no sacrament is rightly performed. There is therefore to be known and firmly observed that if any consecration to be made of things profane in which there is any pollution or defilement, then in exercising and expiation of those things ought to precede the consecration, which things being so made pure are made apt to receive the influences of divine virtues. We are also to observe that in the end of every consecration, after the prayers is rightly performed, the person consecrating ought to bless the thing consecrated by breathing out some words with divine virtue and power of the present consecration, with the commemoration of his virtue and authority, that it may be the more duly performed and with an earnest and intensive mind. So, okay. Um, yeah, I'm gonna have to really move. Uh, through there. So um, we'll get through um, this and I'll try to move on, but consecration is kind of a big one. And um, yeah, we'll get through here. So we're going to go through some of the, the magical implements used. Um, perfumes uh, perform their work. You should also have holy water from a priest, a new earthen vessel, with fire, vesture, and a pentacle, and all of these things be rightly duly consecrated and prepared. I really wanted to, to go into holy water. Holy water is a standard. Um, I love discovering this. Uh, apparently in the, in the Middle Ages, the power of holy water was considered so great that in some places fonts had locked covers to prevent the theft of holy water for unauthorized magical practices. Uh, the constitutions of the Archbishop Edmund Rich. So it's neat that um, uh, we have this in the records that uh, the holy water had to be Lot, uh, under lock and key because of uh, witchcraft. So it was so commonly used in, in magical um, arts that obtaining holy water from a priest uh, is something that you see in the, in the Hippomeron and, and other um, workings if they're not making them themselves. So um, holy water is kind of the basis of uh, magical practice. And um, I won't read these all out, but uh, here's some of the um, uh, use of holy water, this specifically uh, from the Key of Solomon on, on how to make it and uh, the following Psalms 
a lot from the Key of Solomon and Nos Grimoires. There's a lot of Psalms uh, said for, to finish uh, the consecration. So we'll keep moving. There's a lot of information. Uh, this is about the making of the famous sprinkler or the aspergillum using um, sacred herbs um, with the holy water. And um, had that, that when it's used, um, it's able to disperse any negative entities or spirits and such things. Holy anointing oil um, also used. Uh, so from the, um, uh, the Goetia, the Goetia and uh, the Heptameron as well, um, there's anointing of holy oils on the temples and, and over the eyes. And the Psalm 51, which you find in, in most um, uh, Solomonic uh, grimoires of purging me with hyssop and I shall be clean, thou shalt wash me and I should be whiter than the snow. Uh, from Albermel in the age, the use of anointing oil of not just yourself, but with the vestments um, and also the, um, the, with the wand and, uh, and such. Um, just another example of where um, chrism holy oil is used. This talks about the fasting, entering the holy place and the ceremonies, sprinkling yourself um, with holy water, also using the perfume, anointing yourself. This is from the fourth book of occult philosophy. So again, the process of making yourself um, holy. Uh, going into the vestment, the, the main vestment. So this is part of the, uh, the quotes that I was talking about. So it says specifically, let it be a priest's garment if it can be, but if it cannot be, let it be of linen and clean. Um, and it talks about it always with the white, with the white linen being the, you know, definitely the alb. So the robe of the alb is, is the robe of the magician, um, historically, most definitely. Just other examples of the, um, the vestments being very, very, you know, much the same. Again, people can go back into these and look at these. But, um, talking about the hat or the, the mitre, the crown, specifically a mitre is mentioned in um, the Goetia of the Lamegaton, uh, referencing, you know, directly uh, liturgical vestments. And uh, I love these images that are fine. You can get um, an idea of um, uh, some of the things possibly worn, even though they're, they're illustrations. There's almost uh, deacon style stoles also that are, are seen, but um, uh, a crown or, or mitre is mentioned again in the book of Abramel and the Mage. So that's just another example where the headpiece is, is mentioned. Um, I do go into the magical circle, uh, not so much as it directly relates to, you know, necessarily uh, something, um, you know, found in, in Catholic Church, but for the blessing of a place, which is exactly what um, I quoted earlier of, of making something a space sacred and set apart. And, and the magical circle is very much um, part of that, and but is a huge part of most definitely classical magical evocation. So it included some pictures of these are magical circles that I've made and then I use. Um, the one from the Lamegaton and the Goetia and also the one from drawing spirits into crystals. And here's another one with uh, 
uh, after I was done with an operation of Archangel Raphael on Wednesday in the art of drawing spirits on the crystals. Uh, these are some illustrations also with um, another cal uh, classical um, Goetia circle drawn on the ground. But uh, the one on the lower left here is from the Hygromantia and it shows the magician behind a scryer who um, has another circle that's um, protecting the, well, it's protecting the scryer and the magician, but it's containing the spirit within the, the water pot as the scryer is um, gazing into the water pot and then the magician's conjuring from behind. So this is a classical um, partnership that, uh, that you see and that's uh, still used that I use with uh, magician and scryer. The one in the top center, um, if you notice, um, the, it's very much like a Catholic altar. You see uh, the crucifix or the cross um, and the, the candles, but there's also other metals and uh, the book of magic. And he is in a magical circle and uh, the incense brazier and uh, the demon on the outside, not looking so happy that he has to deliver treasures onto the, onto the magician. Um, but these are just examples of, of magical circles. The one on the lower right, um, has the magical ring, sword, the holy oil, uh, everything kind of contained therein as another illustration. And it's such a huge topic, it's, it's hard for me to, <laughs> to keep it all within an hour, but uh, hopefully I'm not moving too fast or too slow. Um, but this is another example when the circle is rightly perfected, sprinkle the same with holy or purging water. And again, it's with the psalm um, being able to be cleansed within the circle. I included the earlier sources as Dr. Skinner uh, posted the Ouroboros or a lot of the illustrations of the, the snake being um, arguably one of the main sources of the magical circle of protection and um, where most likely a lot of this uh, came from. And again, yeah, sprinkling it from holy water suggests that you can see the use of holy water for um, for the use. Uh, of course, the magician's wand, um, and this taken, you know, from later from Francis Barnum, but a very famous magician uh, with his works as well. And uh, these are all magical ones that I personally made um, and have either used or sold uh, in some fashion. Uh, other examples of the almond wand used in, in Abermelon, uh, the scepter, the one used in, in the Goetia, uh, the blasting rod, the um, hazel one used in, in the Grand Grimoire, uh, hazel wand used in, in uh, Goetia, and uh, the black ebony wand used in, in drawing spirits and the crystals. Uh, but I bring this up specifically, and these are some other canes and just kind of wands, uh, especially the snake, give uh, particular attention to the, the snake canes and the snake wands because we're looking at some source material that um, is found in liturgical practices most definitely and biblical references, which we'll get to. Um, this is the use of the wand and, and drawing spirits into crystals that um, very, very Christian um, blessing of the defense of the circle using the wand so that no evil spirits uh, cross the boundary. And um, we'll kind of go over this, but the, the, the making of the wand having kind of an intense consecration as well and um, blessing. So most of the processes that you, that you see for 
um, the implements, there's an exorcism of basically ridding it of any um, impure spirit, any kind of attachments or things that may be on it, and then blessing and consecrating it and having it specified. So this is uh, the part, especially with the Eastern Orthodox, um, I love you see their, their bishops, um, uh, um, Cain and such, which very much uh, has a serpent as well. And, and I did a little bit further research and it's, it's, it's fascinating to see how this has extended. And of course we have the biblical reference from Exodus of when Moses threw the staff on uh, the floor and it became a serpent, um, most likely like a cobra or an asp or something like that. And, um, and then again, lifted it up and it was this, but this is a, a source material of our magical tradition through uh, the Judaic uh, Christian sect, but it has very much earlier sources again from Egypt of the magical wand um, and or staff a lot of times being that of a serpent that uh, the earliest magicians when they were commanding spirits had either a bronze um, or brass and sometimes wood um, uh, implement shaped like, like a snake. Um, and uh, this is our, our source material for the, the famous magical wand. That's very much in our religious tradition as well, undoubtedly. Um, I could probably talk quite a bit about this, but um, uh, we'll keep it moving on. But it's just kind of a fascinating, um, fascinating source. Had to give a little bit about the magical sword. And um, I also included this from the Heptameron because we start going where the implements where actual masses are being said over magical implements. Um, they're specifically said, and you find this in the book of Honorius and other ones that, that actual masses that you had to find, if you weren't a priest yourself, uh, you had to find a very trusting kind of liberal priest that would actually take your implements and agree to do uh, masses over them, to make them sanctified, to make them consecrated. And uh, there's examples of this. Um, this is the um, just reference to the sword and then um, swords and blessings, consecrations as you find in, in uh, various texts of uh, Key of Solomon and, and other, um, other grimoires as well. But we'll try to keep, keep things moving because I know we're short on time. Um, yep, again, so the Key of Solomon, very lengthy process for uh, engraving and, and uh, Less than consecrating the magical sword. Pentacles, laymans, and uh, parchments. So I'm going to talk a little bit about this because this is kind of the based on the main seal um, and goes into uh, phylacteries. So phylacteries, we know some of its um, main direct associations um, that you see is, is like part of the uh, the Torah for. Um, the Jewish uh, community to actually have it written out and it's like a box that's affixed right uh, to their head as a blessing and, and as a shield defense. It's, it serves the, the same way. It's, it's uh, to, um, to uh, defend uh, against anything, any kind of malignant um, influences or attacks or so on for, for other spirits. But um, yeah, I talked about this is from the, the Goetia, which is the pentagram. These are phylacteries, um, grand seals of Solomon or the pentacle of Solomon that I've, I've made for these were for clients um, that I sold. Uh, but uh, this is an excellent um, quote, really talking about how these 
um, works with preserving us from evil chances and events and fits a little bit to the pinnacles and talismans that you find in, in texts like the Key of Solomon. Um, but the difference between the phylactery and the, the lamen is uh, that these are only worn by the magicians. Uh, these were worn as a seal of authority and protection for the actual person conjuring and calling these spirits into presence to not only protect them, but give them a seal of, of further authority of them being um, rightfully in a place to, to conjure these spirits and, and demand things of them. Other uh, examples, lots of pictures on the cell things I've either made. Uh, here's kind of a big one, uh, Catholic mass. Um, this one's talking about the, um, the sacraments and the creation of the circle um, from the book of um, uh, Pope Honorius. But um, from the heptameron, we have the, the pentagon or the hexagram of Solomon and how um, it's actually blessed and consecrated with the mass of the Holy Ghost and also sprinkled with the water of baptism. Um, not just holy water, but uh, the, the water used and consecrated for uh, the, um, the sacrament of, of baptism. Yeah, great, uh, great question. And um, uh, from Barton Wold, and I'll definitely, uh, these are the, this is the kind of discussion that I'd like and like to get to. So hopefully we can save it for the end, but I would like to um, definitely like to get to that. Here's a picture of the Grand Seal of Solomon uh, through the Key of Solomon, most likely the Math Mathers edition, um, one that I made a while ago. Uh, talking about how they're either used to sprinkle it with holy water and then through incense and just um, examples again of uh, masses where you know, let three masses be sung with gospels if you begin it so you know direct um, use of, of this tradition uh, to make articles holy to make them consecrated to make them blessed and magical uh, to these people it was it was the same this is how magical things worked. It was worked through the power and, and understanding and the devotion to the religion and through uh, the way they understood it. And these things were hand in hand. Um, a few more things, a holy table or a table of art. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, the altar. Um, but these uh, were um, as we understand, you know, the altar, even in the Catholic tradition with um, it's being basically a tomb, like if you had a stone and, and sometimes a stone, like I have a stone on top of a, uh, of a wooden altar, uh, if the, the whole thing was an entirely stone itself and usually contained relics and, um, and such, um, you know, this was a place uh, made sacred, everything to have the blessed sacraments and, and to celebrate um, the sacraments in this way. Uh, for the magician, it was uh, the central point of usually if you were conversing with the spirit in, in a scrying astral sort of way, this is where uh, you would have them appear, especially if they were angels. Um, but again, this is from Abermellon, um, just showing how, uh, and with the feet naked, again, this is hailing back to the Old Testament and, and with Moses approaching the burning bush and and you know a lot of references to our religious tradition about 
you know, how and why things are the, the way they are even in the later magical uh, traditions. Lots and lots of stuff. Um, these are various altars that I've made. So for the central picture, again, kind of showing that, that classical kind of Catholic um, altar table. Um, but uh, the wax almadel at the very bottom center is for calling um, angels various choros of the seasons. And um, they have holy names of God on them. And it's, it's very specific um, that way with incense that rises up underneath, drawing spirits into crystals, um, directional kings, but the archangels of, of the planets uh, surrounded and um, the planets and, and holy names and sigils on the far left for the, um, uh, the, uh, the Lamegaton of the um, uh, Ars Paulina. So having trouble remembering for a second. Uh, just various references to the altar and how it is built. Um, there's some reference again, healing back to uh, points in the Old Testament, especially from the book of Abermelon, the, the mage. And um, for the Abermelon, this is where the, the implements and the oils and such things are kept. but just several examples from various grimoires. Um, this is from Drawing Spirits in the Crystals, uh, with the scrying um, pedestal that um, definitely uh, hails to uh, a reliquium or a, a monstrance um, where the, the sacred host um, was kept and uh, really makes me interested to see if there's any other texts or recordings of, of people staring into this and having visions um, whether trying to look at the relic or the, or the host, um, but using it as a scrying um, device, which is definitely where you get the device for drawing spirits and crystals. Uh, magical rings, I just had a brief um, description in uh, within the, the lore of Solomon. Uh, again, you, you heard me mention that um, he was given a seal and in some of these versions, it's, it's a magic ring given through the, the archangel, either Gabriel or Michael, sometimes uh, Raziel, depending on the version of, uh, of the lore that you're reading. And uh, this again is, is basically a, um, a religious um, symbol and emblem granting authority, but also a protection um, against, um, you know, any kind of maladies of, of the spirits and uh, made a, um, you know, just basically a little bit of lore through other magical traditions in the West. And, um, you know, some that's definitely seen in, in kind of the, um, um, uh, you know, the other systems that, uh, that we have, either the Arabic or, or other sources, but um, also the how the signet ring we can see where the Pope and other of the, the Cardinals and such uh, will get um, a ring that is, you know, also established of kind of religious authority if it, to, to really make it simple. And uh, of course they have deeper meaning and, um, and uh, symbolism through there, but very much serve in the, in the same way. Um, incense uh, is definitely a big thing within uh, the church and not just, definitely just not uh, Catholicism, but especially um, ancient religions and, and such, uh, Eastern and Western, uh, a big thing and the primary component within um, 
evocation um, as well. And um, don't have to go into too much explanation, but um, just all the different, um, you know, source materials for um, incense and the incense burner. And of course, just like uh, we have in, in our liturgy and um, uh, in other Catholic uh, liturgies that the incense is, is consecrated, just like anything else used in, in mass or in, um, in sacred ritual. Um, it's usually exercised and then it's um, consecrated. And, uh, and through the magical process, it's usually um, has everything negative removed from it and that it's, it's uh, designed to be used specifically for these magical acts of, of bringing uh, the desired spirit um, to the magician. So I have uh, yeah, a few examples of, of this and just one of the, you know, quite basic um, blessings from the Key of Solomon of how the incense is, is used and then even how it's kept afterwards. Uh, more pictures. I like to show the pictures of <laughs> things that I've made or things I have in, in my working space. Um, so we've got through the, the implements. Um, I kind of close this out and uh, appreciate everybody being with me, but um, a lot of the things that we can find uh, direct reference for, but uh, as far as the, the stages of Solomonic evocation, and it's really neat to see that as uh, Dr. Skinner calls it a technology, it really is it's a certain process by which um, these spirits arrive and by their, they're kind of bound to do certain things. Um, even in the ancient texts and, and as it's transferred uh, across various uh, religious and, and cultural um, frameworks, these, uh, these parts um, remain consistent, which is really amazing to see. And um, the consecrations and stuff, and this also includes the, um, the purifications ahead of time and everything with opening prayers, um, the invocations calling forth, uh, the constrictical or the, the um, constricting or the, um, the binding of the spirits uh, in this way and uh, the ordering them, the binding them to a specific task and everything. So the actual exorcism when you're giving them the task to, uh, to perform and then finally the license to depart, all of these um, are found in basic Solomonic and, and evocation processes regardless of, of the text. It's a picture of myself and my scryer. Um, uh, I think right after one of the uh, the uh, workings that we did following the second book. Um, and I do include uh, directly from John King his, his uh, Imperial Arts practice one just for a reference of um, the, the process of ceremonial ev evocation and how a lot of um, you know, the same um, dictates and disciplines are used for um, our religious practices, you know, regardless if we're calling spirits or not. <laughs> we're doing something, something magical or we're uh, committed to go through a certain process, um, perform a certain liturgy, um, undergo a certain ordination, you know, some sort of important aspect of, of magical or religious uh, undertaking. Uh, but that I kind of zoomed through a lot. There is um, a lot there. Um, I, I do have a tendency to lose track of time, but it looks like I'm just a few minutes over. 
Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed that. I know it was kind of a, a whirlwind um, presentation of me kind of sputtering on about this, but um, if anybody has any questions or so on, I'm, I'm happy to discuss if we have time, but we'll leave it up to his, his eminence to, to go from here. Okay, I'm just putting things back to the normal view so everybody can uh, see and talking. Oh, Christina had a question if you'll be making the slides available. Um, I assume if they're in the, uh, in the uh, discussion, I guess, or I don't know how the recordings go, if people can use them that way. Otherwise, yeah, I'm sure I can find another way to share them with people if they want yeah, if to you, see them. If you've got them as a PDF, we can, we can post them with the with the talk, they'll also be visible. You are visible the entire time. So uh, I enjoy I enjoy this stuff because it's fascinating the amount of uh, overlap, and it always gives me a little bit of humor too to see you know occultists and esoterists on the on the internet spend most of their time crapping on you know crapping on Christianity or the church, and you know just kind of uh, well. Substituting some chaos magic, whatever you know, filling in the blanks on the names and, and you know whatnot, um, and kind of ignoring the the context. I mean, you don't even have to go as far as to say something like uh, the spirit of the work or, or Gregor. There, there are, uh, I mean, there are definitely historical and ritual contexts that should be respected. And while I'm not a, a purist, you know, I'll make substitutions where where needed at the same time, if you're not going to follow the basic system, do something else. Right. And yeah, that's my, my same philosophy as, as well. And, and as a personal note, it was, it was difficult for me. I, um, you know, it was a Protestant upbringing for me and it wasn't bad like it was for most people, but, um, you know, I was having things occur and I stepped away from that. But when I got interested in this kind of things and I was reading, I, I really had to come to a point of like, wow, I can, disregard or maybe maybe there's something here that I just don't understand yet because I've been you know so kind of colored against it um you know I'm kind of in the midst of Christianity but maybe there's something there that um I could better understand in a different light and this kind of started my journey which eventually led me honestly to the AJC and to, to understand it and appreciate it even further in a, in a different way well don't worry about the Protestant part you were absolved in the mass prior to your ordination <laughs> that's awesome that's good and that's that's important <laughs> I'm, I'm always fascinated, oh, go for it. Uh, i'm always fascinated by um this intersection between ceremonial magic and um liturgical practice because I mean, it goes the other way as well, right? That that when we look at the the practice of the liturgy, uh, we can look at it through the lens of of ceremonial magic, and it just it, it's just the highest expression of of ceremonial magic, mm -hmm. and and seeing that that crossover go both ways, I think is is particularly fascinating for me. Definitely, definitely. And that's why I love so much, of course, it's a, it's a big component in the AGC because uh, all my brothers and sisters understand it <laughs> and, they, and they, they share it and they, they have a deep, they have the experience and 
the appreciation on both sides. And, and for me, that's, that's something that I personally enjoy. It's nice to learn that way. I think one of the things, one of the obscure bits from AJC history is that, I mean, you know, if you've, if, if you've been around for the last uh, 20 years, and it's too bad. I, I know Ben Pierce uh, registered, but I think he's up against his schedule. So he's going to have to catch up. But I mean, one thing that, that Ben can tell you as readily as, as I can tell you is that when the AJC started, while it was, uh, um, you know, it's always, the AJC started primarily as a, as a church for esoteric folks. It was more esoteric than it was Gnostic in the beginning, right? The, the focus was on giving marginalized practitioners of other traditions uh, a place where to go. So the, the word magic and magician was as much in our material as uh, the word Gnostic when we first started. And that spirit, and, and while you know we like to be an esoteric church that you can also take your grandma to, uh, and that has in fact happened, people have taken their grandmas to to uh, AJC. There's there's still that uh, that undercurrent and that openness for people to um, to practice and explore other traditions, but also to have the community in the framework of the, of the AJC. So, yeah, we're we're all about it. Historically, we always like to remind people that the friary actually predated the the church. That's um, right. That and that the the friary there has always been for the AJC sort of an esoteric engine, uh, you know, sort of uh, looming in the background. Uh, Brian Scott raised his hand. Brian, since you've uh, been ordained a deacon, have you noticed any difference in your magical practice? Uh, great question. Um, definitely, I think so. If, if in any regard, it's, it's just moved uh, incrementally higher. And uh, I think it's coincided with a lot of things that have um, occurred in my life as, as kind of a, um, a pathway. And it seems like magic seminary and and the efforts, I guess, the efforts put towards both have really amounted to um, the experience and then now the amount of work that, um, that I do in each. And uh, it's, it's phenomenal. I always wonder how much the, the, these beings and such that I come in contact with, how much that's recognized as, as before, you know, be the ordination. Um, it's very curious how much they, they recognize that as, um, as being a substantial, you know, part of, of how I always wonder how they view myself or the magician, and uh, and deal with things that way. But regardless, my my own practice and how I feel when I'm stepping into the robes and the vestments and doing that, um, I guess if anything, it, it feels even more appropriate <laughs> in a way and a way that I'm stepping in, you know, beyond kind of rehearsing or dress up to that way that it becomes even more of a sacred act even before and I didn't even know that was a possible thing so yes yeah, so there's there's definitely but it's still you know nebulous on some fronts to to exactly what degree mm -hmm. I was initiated into the friary before I was ordained a deacon or a priest and I noticed that my practice before and I have journals about this my practice before I was ordained and my practice after were completely different because before if i was summoning a spirit or talking to a spirit i had to test it and test it hard 
to make sure that I had the right one and that I wasn't being deceived. Mm -hmm. Afterwards, it was very clear. And, you know, after being a deacon, it was clear who I was talking to. And after I was a priest, it was who I intended to talk to every time. Um, I still have a little people kind of poking at the edges that aren't necessarily the ones that I want to involve, but they're very apparent. And it's very, it's a very interesting thing <clears throat> that the need for, you know, some of these implements has kind of gone down a bit because the implements are kind of carried with me as being a priest. And, you know, as, as a priest after the order of Melchizedek and as, a, as an anointed with the power to bind and loose, it kind of changes the game. I think, and I think there's something definitely to that. And, and it's apparent even in the text we have in the grimoires of, of these people, if, if they weren't priests, they had to get something blessed by a priest or, or a priest to say mass over them or have some sort of, of extension. So yeah, it only makes sense that if you're actually in that position of authority and everything, the, the consecration of the vestments and the implements and stuff are already with you, already there. So, I mean, yeah, that goes hand in hand for sure. Exactly. Well, thank you. Thank you. I was going to say, uh, Christian made a comment in the same thing, reminds me of the old dress for the job you want, not the job you have. But funny, funny you should mention that because uh, correct me if, if I'm wrong, uh, Deacon, because you're the expert in this thing, but essentially what the magician is doing in Solomonic Magic is um you know uh, uh a sort of very fancy version of fake it till you make it um basically fooling the spirits that they're king solomon that's why they're, they're standing in king solomon's stead that's why they wear the crown and the vestments and, and the mitre is that they're 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 being taken for for king solomon so there is a there is an element there you know in holy orders that kind of uh supplants that and i know that um uh, also, at least in the texts with which I'm I'm familiar, um, because I'm a Martinist and and Martinism covers a little bit of uh, Heptameron, is I mean there there are there are some texts and some uh, ceremonial stuff that basically say if you're a priest you can skip these instructions. Uh, the uh, uh, there are certain things that you have to. Uh, um, I think it's the the girdle of Moses, which we laugh about in our Martinist Lodge, because it drives me nuts that it's called a, a, a girdle when it's more like a stole, um, you know. And essentially, what it's doing is is it essentially gives the 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 layman, the 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 non ordained uh, magician, the equivalent of a of a of a priestly stole. Um, and so there there are lots of things where. Yeah, there are lots of things where essentially the the ceremonial magic tradition, the grimoire tradition, in that regard, um, is is basically uh, you know uh, juicing up the magician for kind of you know uh, uh, individual acts as a priest, as opposed to something that's kind of standing or pre-existing for somebody who's ordained. So there's there's lots of crossover. Yeah, definitely, it's a. It's a point of discussion too with the uh, the vestments and how, like in the Key of Solomon, it, it talks about making a crown, but it's out of parchment. You know, it's like you know paper, even though it's from the the animal and it has holy names. And and uh, there's some discussion of like, well, you know, is the spirit fooled into thinking that it really looks like a crown and and everything else? And um, from the experience and from my sense of these things is that it's not so much them really even caring about the 
the physical representation or even how something looks like we might appreciate it, but there's, there's something energetically there. Do, you know, we write these holy names in the magical circle, but, you know, is there meaning behind that? Is, is there actual power? They're just representations of things. Where, where does the true power and authority lie if they're, if they're consecrated and they're, they're blessed? Is it the thing or is it the power behind the thing, the representation? And, and this gets into some of the, um, the debates with my colleagues this way about, you know, where, where those things are. And the, when those consecrations and those understandings, yeah, or go through ordination and, and they're there, they're present with the person who's standing before the spirit, I think, um, you know, that's a major thing of, of when this stuff works or, or doesn't work when, uh, when people attempt these kind of things. Uh, just a quick note, we, uh, we are at our time point to jump into the next talk so that we can give folks time to settle, prepare, and uh, check audio. But um, yeah, that was a really good talk. I, <laughs> we're we're, we're going to have to go further in exploration. I mean, for me, I just like looking at all the kit because <laughs> you know, the, you've, you've amassed quite the collection and you're, you're pretty good at uh, making it. I really uh, dug the Seal of Solomon ring with the stone in the middle. Kind of works. Uh, so uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for doing that. That was an excellent talk. And, uh, you know, I've listened to, uh, obviously, you know, we've talked in person and I've also listened to, uh, uh, you know, many podcasts with you covering different aspects of the thing, but it's nice to, to kind of see it laid out, you know, front to back from your end, uh, particularly with relation to the church, because we're all here in the church context. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, thank you kindly. And, uh, folks, I will see you in well under a minute in the in the next room. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Love sharing with everybody.